Volume Two, Chapter Twenty Nine of the Marble Faun. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. The Marble Faun by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Volume Two, Chapter Twenty Nine, On the Battlements. The sculptor now looked through art embrasure and threw down a bit of lime, watching its fall till it struck upon a stone bench at the rocky foundation of the tower and flew into many fragments. Pray pardon me for helping time to crumble away your ancestral walls, said he, but I am one of those persons who have a natural tendency to climb heights and to stand on the verge of them measuring the depth below. If I were to do just as I like, at this moment i should fling myself down after that bit of lime it is a very singular temptation and all but irresistible partly i believe because it might be so easily done and partly because such momentous consequences would ensue without my being compelled to wait a moment for them have you never felt this strange impulse of an evil spirit at your back showing you towards a precipice ah no cried donatello shrinking from the battlemented wall with a face of horror i cling to life in a way which you cannot conceive it has been so rich so warm so sunny and beyond its verge nothing but the chilly dark and then a fall from a precipice is such an awful death nay if it be a great height said kenyon a man would leave his life in the air and never feel the hard shock at the bottom that is not the way with this kind of death exclaimed donatello in a low horror-stricken voice which grew higher and more full of emotion as he proceeded imagine a fellow-creature breathing now and looking you in the face and now tumbling down 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 with a long shriek wavering after him all the way he does not leave his life in the air no but it keeps in him till he thumps against the stones a horrible long while then he lies there frightfully quiet a dead heap of bruised flesh and broken bones a quiver runs through the crushed mass and no more movement after that no not if you would give your soul to make him stir a finger ah terrible yes yes i would fain fling myself down for the very dread of it that i might endure it once for all and dream of it no more how forcibly how frightfully you conceive this said the sculptor aghast at the passionate horror which was betrayed in the count's words and still more in his wild gestures and ghastly look nay if the height of your tower affects your imagination thus you do wrong to trust yourself here in solitude and in the night-time and at all unguarded hours you are not safe in your chamber it is but a step or two and what if a vivid dream should lead you up hither at midnight and act itself out as a reality donatello had hidden his face in his hands and was leaning against the parapet no fear of that said he whatever the dream may be i am too genuine a coward to act out my own death in it the paroxysm passed away 
and the two friends continued their desultory talk very much as if no such interruption had occurred nevertheless it affected the sculptor with infinite pity to see this young man who had been born to gladness as an assured heritage now involved in a misty bewilderment of grievous thoughts amid which he seemed to go staggering blindfold kenyon not without an unshaped suspicion of the definite fact knew that his condition must have resulted from the weight and gloom of life now first through the agency of a secret trouble making themselves felt on a character that had heretofore breathed only an atmosphere of joy the effect of this hard lesson upon donatello's intellect and disposition was very striking it was perceptible that he had already had glimpses of strange and subtle matters in those dark caverns into which all men must descend if they would know anything beneath the surface and elusive pleasures of existence and when they emerge though dazzled and blinded by the first glare of daylight they take truer and sadder views of life for ever afterwards from some mysterious source as the sculptor felt assured a soul had been inspired into the young count's simplicity since their intercourse in rome he now showed a far deeper sense and an intelligence that began to deal with high subjects though in a feeble and childish way he evinced too a more definite and nobler individuality but developed out of grief and pain and fearfully conscious of the pangs that had given it birth every human life if it descends to truth or delves down to reality must undergo a similar change but sometimes perhaps the instruction comes without the sorrow and oftener the sorrow teaches no lesson that abides with us in donatello's case it was pitiful and almost ludicrous to observe the confused struggle that he made how completely he was taken by surprise how ill-prepared he stood on this old battlefield of the world to fight with such an inevitable foe as mortal calamity and sin for its stronger ally and yet thought kenyon the poor fellow bears himself like a hero too if he would only tell me his trouble or give me an opening to speak frankly about it i might help him but he finds it too horrible to be uttered and fancies himself the only mortal that ever felt the anguish of remorse yes he believes that nobody ever endured his agony before so that sharp enough in itself it has all the additional zest of a torture just invented to plague him individually the sculptor endeavoured to dismiss the painful subject from his mind and leaning against the battlements he turned his face southward and westward and gazed across the breadth of the valley his thoughts flew far beyond even those wide boundaries taking an airline from donatello's tower to another turret that ascended into the sky of the summer afternoon invisibly to him above the roofs of distant rome then rose tumultuously into his consciousness that strong love for hilda which it was his habit to confine in one of the heart's inner chambers because he had found no encouragement to bring it forward but now he felt a strange pull at his heart-strings it could not have been more perceptible 
if all the way between these battlements and hilda's dovecot had stretched an exquisitely sensitive cord which at the hither end was knotted with his aforesaid heart-strings and at the remoter one was grasped by a gentle hand his breath grew tremulous he put his hand to his breast so distinctly did he seem to feel that cord drawn once and again and again as if though still it was bashfully intimated there were an importunate demand for his presence oh for the white wings of hilda's doves that he might have flown thither and alighted at the virgin's shrine but lovers and kenyon knew it well projected so lifelike a copy of their mistresses out of their own imaginations that it can pull at the heart-strings almost as perceptibly as the genuine original no airy intimations are to be trusted no evidences of responsive affection less positive than whispered and broken words or tender pressures of the hand allowed and half-returned or glances that distill many passionate avowals into one gleam of richly coloured light even those should be weighed rigorously at the instant for in another instant the imagination seizes on them as its property and stamps them with its own arbitrary value but hilda's maidenly reserve had given her lover no such tokens to be interpreted either by his hopes or fears yonder over mountain and valley lies rome said the sculptor shall you return thither in the autumn never i hate rome answered donatello and have good cause and yet it was a pleasant winter that we spent there observed kenyon and with pleasant friends about us you would meet them again there all of them all asked donatello all to the best of my belief said the sculptor but you need not go to rome to seek them if there were one of those friends whose lifetime was twisted with your own i am enough of a fatalist to feel assured that you will meet that one again wonder whither you may neither can we escape the companions whom providence assigns for us by climbing an old tower like this yet the stairs are steep and dark rejoined the count none but yourself would seek me here or find me if they sought as donatello did not take advantage of this opening which his friend had kindly afforded him to pour out his hidden troubles the latter again threw aside the subject and returned to the enjoyment of the scene before him the thunderstorm which he had beheld striding across the valley had passed to the left of montebene and was continuing its march towards the hills that formed the boundary on the eastward above the whole valley indeed the sky was heavy with tumbling vapours interspersed with which were tracts of blue vividly brightened by the sun but in the east where the tempest was yet trailing its ragged skirts lay a dusky region of cloud and sullen mist in which some of the hills appeared of a dark purple hue others became so indistinct that the spectator could not tell rocky height from impalpable cloud far into this misty cloud region however within the domain of chaos as it were hilltops were seen brightening in the sunshine they looked like fragments of the world 
broken adrift and based on nothingness or like portions of a sphere destined to exist but not yet finally compacted the sculptor habitually drawing many of the images and illustrations of his thoughts from the plastic art fancied that the scene represented the process of the creator when he held the new imperfect earth in his hand and modelled it what a magic is in mist and vapour among the mountains he exclaimed with their help one single scene becomes a thousand the cloud scenery gives such variety to a hilly landscape that it would be worth while to journalize its aspect from hour to hour a cloud however as i have myself experienced is apt to grow solid and as heavy as a stone the instant that you take in hand to describe it but in my own heart i have found great use in clouds such silvery ones as those to the northward for example have often suggested sculpturesque groups figures and attitudes they are especially rich in attitudes of living repose which a sculptor only hits upon by the rarest good fortune when i go back to my dear native land the clouds along the horizon will be my only gallery of art i can see cloud shapes too said donatello yonder is one that shifts strangely it has been like people whom i knew and now if i watch it a little longer it will take the figure of a monk reclining with his cowl about his head and drawn partly over his face and well did i not tell you so i think remarked kenyon we can hardly be gazing at the same cloud what i behold is a reclining figure to be sure but feminine and with a despondent air wonderfully well expressed in the wavering outline from head to foot it moves my very heart by something indefinable that it suggests i see the figure and almost the face said the count adding in a lower voice it is miriam's no not miriam's answered the sculptor while the two gazers thus found their own reminiscences and presentiments floating among the clouds the day drew to its close and now showed them the fair spectacle of an italian sunset the sky was soft and bright but not so gorgeous as kenyon had seen it a thousand times in america for there the western skies want to be set aflame with breadths and depths of color with which poets seek in vain to dye their verses and which painters never dare to copy as beheld from the tower of monte beni the scene was tenderly magnificent with mild gradations of hue and a lavish outpouring of gold but rather such gold as we see on the leaf of a bright flower than the burnished glow of metal from the mine or if metallic it looked airy and unsubstantial like the glorified dreams of an alchemist and speedily more speedily than in our own clime came the twilight and brightening through its great transparency the stars a swarm of minute insects that had been hovering all day round the battlements were now swept away by the freshness of a rising breeze the two owls in the chamber beneath donatello's uttered their soft melancholy cry which with national avoidance of harsh sounds 
italian owls substitute for the hoot of their kindred in other countries and flew darkling forth among the shrubbery a convent bell rang out near at hand and was not only echoed among the hills but answered by another bell and still another which doubtless had farther and farther responses at various distances along the valley for like the english drumbeat around the globe there is a chain of convent bells from end to end and crosswise and in all possible directions over priest-ridden italy come said the sculptor the evening air grows cool it is time to descend time for you my friend replied the count and he hesitated a little before adding i must keep a vigil here for some hours longer it is my frequent custom to keep vigils and sometimes the thought occurs to me whether it were not better to keep them in yonder convent the bell of which just now seemed to summon me should i do wisely do you think to exchange this old tower for a cell what turn monk exclaimed his friend a horrible idea true said donatello sighing therefore if at all i purpose doing it then think of it no more for heaven's sake cried the sculptor there are a thousand better and more poignant methods of being miserable than that if to be miserable is what you wish nay i question whether a monk keeps himself up to the intellectual and spiritual height which misery implies a monk i judge from their sensual physiognomies which meet me at every turn is inevitably a beast their souls if they have any to begin with perish out of them before their sluggish swinish existence is half done better a million times to stand star-gazing on these airy battlements than to smother your new germ of a higher life in a monkish cell you make me tremble said donatello by your bold aspersion of men who have devoted themselves to god's service they serve neither god nor man and themselves least of all though their motives be utterly selfish replied kenyon avoid the convent my dear friend as you would shun the death of the soul but for my own part if i had an insupportable burden if for any case i were bent upon sacrificing every earthly hope as a peace offering towards heaven i would make the wide world my cell and good deeds to mankind my prayer many penitent men have done this and found peace in it ah but you are a heretic said the count yet his face brightened beneath the stars and looking at it through the twilight the sculptor's remembrance went back to that scene in the capitol where both in features and expression donatello had seemed identical with the form and still there was a resemblance for now when first the idea was suggested of living for the welfare of his fellow-creatures the original beauty which sorrow had partly effaced came back elevated and spiritualized in the black depths the fawn had found a soul and was struggling with it towards the light of heaven the illumination it is true soon faded out of donatello's face the idea of lifelong and unselfish effort was too high to be received by him with more than a momentary comprehension 
an italian indeed seldom dreams of being philanthropic except in bestowing alms among the paupers who appeal to his beneficence at every step nor does it occur to him that there are fitter modes of propitiating heaven than by penances pilgrimages and offerings at shrines perhaps too their system has its share of moral advantages they at all events cannot well pride themselves as our own more energetic benevolence is apt to do upon sharing in the counsels of providence and kindly helping out its otherwise impracticable designs and now the broad valley twinkled with lights that glimmered through its duskiness like the fireflies in the garden of a florentine palace a gleam of lightning from the rear of the tempest showed the circumference of hills and the great space between as the last cannon flash of a retreating army reddens across the field where it has fought the sculptor was on the point of descending the turret stair when somewhere in the darkness that lay beneath them a woman's voice was heard singing a low sad strain hark said he laying his hand on donatello's arm and donatello had said hark at the same instant the song if you song it could be called that had only a wild rick and flowed forth in the fitful measure of a wind harp did not clothe itself in the sharp brilliancy of the italian tongue the words so far as they could be distinguished were german and therefore unintelligible to the count and hardly less so to the sculptor being softened and molten as it were into the melancholy richness of the voice that sang them it was as the murmur of a soul bewildered amid the sinful gloom of earth and retaining only enough memory of a better state to make sad music of the wail which would else have been a despairing shriek never was there profounder pathos than breathed through that mysterious voice it brought the tears into the sculptor's eyes with remembrances and forebodings of whatever sorrow he had felt or apprehended it made donatello sob as chiming in with the anguish that he found unutterable and giving it the expression which he vaguely sought but when the emotion was at its profoundest depth the voice rose out of it yet so gradually that a gloom seemed to pervade it far upward from the abyss and not entirely to fall away as it ascended into a higher and purer region at last the auditors would have fancied that the melody with its rich sweetness all there and much of its sorrow gone was floating around the very summit of the tower donatello said the sculptor when there was silence again had that voice no message for your ear i dare not receive it said donatello the anguish of which it spoke abides with me the hope dies away with the breath that brought it hither it is not good for me to hear that voice the sculptor sighed and left the poor penitent keeping his vigil on the tower end of chapter twenty nine volume two read by lars rolander